Welcome to the New Shape of Work podcast. I'm Kate Bravery, Mercer's Advisory and Insight Leader, and I can't believe that we are finally in December. I thought for this very last podcast of the year, we would actually do things a little bit differently. I had the pleasure recently to partnering with my colleague, Ilya Bonnock, who leads the career practice in Mercer and is our global head of strategy, and Kai Anderson, who is our regional transformation leader. And we came together to talk about a new book that Mercer has coming out called Work Different, 10 Truths for Winning in the People Age. I think we would all agree that we've seen phenomenal changes in our attitudes to work over this last year. And so we wanted to pause and reflect on what do those change mean as we face 2024? And we want to usher in an era of more engaging, more inspiring work and one that frankly might be a little less exhausting. So I'm going to replay that uh, LinkedIn Live here for you to get uh, a little taster of what we were talking about on that. And I look forward to reconvening our conversations via our podcast series in the new year. If you are celebrating the holidays, wishing you a wonderful break with friends and family. Again, I look forward to speaking to you in 2024. Enjoy. Welcome everyone to Mercer Live. Today's event is titled Work Different, 10 Truths for Winning in the People Age. This is such a timely topic for organizations. Skills are a top priority for HR and people managers. But in order for organizations to really embrace skills-based practices, they need to adopt holistic changes to how they attract, recruit, reward, and empower and engage with talent. Things from culture to technology to job mapping. Well, today I am joined by three global thought leaders and practicing experts to explore this growing skills gap and how leaders can better understand the skills that are needed across the entire organization. Kate, Ilya, and Kai, thank you for joining us today on Mercer Live. To Great to be here. Off, I'd love to start with you, Kate, and ask each of you to maybe take a moment just to share with our audience what part of the world you're joining us from today and your role and our area of focus. Hi, Daniela. Wonderful to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation. Um, I'm Kate Bravery. I'm presently based in Brighton in the UK. And I've really enjoyed the last couple of years uh, partnering with my colleagues in order to write the book. Uh, my role at Mercer is looking after our research and advisory agenda. Thank you. Ilya, over to you. So, Danielle, thanks for having us. Uh, I lead Mercer's career business and I'm one of the executives at Mercer. I'm joining you from Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, and my passion, if you like, is people and organization. I, I really like and enjoy the challenge of how to maximize organization performance but get the right balance so that people get what they want as well. Fantastic. Thank you. And Kai? Um, Daniela, I'm calling in from uh, rainy Munich today, um, <laughs> and uh, well, it's November. And um, my role within Mercer is I'm responsible for Mercer's transformation services internationally. Um, and that is, you know, that is human centered transformation. So that is my passion. Um, and a lot of that is what you will see in the book. Fantastic. Well, thank you to each of you for taking the time to join us today. Well, let's get started. And if it's okay, I'd like to start off with you, Kate. Um, and I encourage Kai and Ilya for you to just jump in. I want to have a very natural, dynamic, fun conversation. Um, but I'd really like to kick us off by asking, um, how can businesses weave sustainability and resilience into their business priorities as we start tackling this big topic? 
Well, I agree with you that this is a very timely conversation. One, it's happening at the end of the year where we're all doing business planning, but also it's happening at a time where we've got an unprecedented opportunity to think differently about where we, how, how and where we work. Um, the advent of generative AI, AI, I think, is getting everyone excited. And as a corporate psychologist, I've been fascinated at how our attitudes towards work have been changing over the last couple of years. And I think one thing we probably all agree on the call is the last few years have really been marred by various crises that we've had to respond to, whether it's been the COVID pandemic, whether it's been wars, whether it's been grappling with the cost of living or even new work models. And that's meant that a lot of our mental mindsets have been in a, a sort of a perma-crisis way. And what that means is we've sort of atrophied our skill around more strategic and sustainable thinking. As we welcome 2024, I think it's a real opportunity to stop take a good hard look at how we're operating day to day and rethink some of our talent models. Because, you know, if I'm pretty honest, I think those talent models haven't served as well for the new world that's evolving. You know, on the one hand, we've had real challenges or we don't have enough talent coming into our businesses to meet our growth ambition. And then fast forward a year and we've got significant numbers of reductions in force happening. We've also got a number of markets that don't have the full participation of their workforce. And at the same time, we've got massive skills mismatch. And I think that just smacks to all of us that there's probably an opportunity to do this a little bit differently. And so in the book, throughout all the chapters, we talk about sustainable people practices. We also hopefully do it in a fun way with lots of musical references. So if you hate music, you're going to hate the book. Um, but, you know, you specifically asked me, how can we move from, you know, the current climate of react and respond to more strategic and sustainable people practices? And for me, there's probably three that um, that I would kick us off for the conversation today. You know, one, we talk a lot about strategic workforce planning and how we can think in a more nuanced way about how we meet the demands of the future. Because the way that we work today is changing as we bring in AI and automation. But it's not just looking at those external shifts in demand. It's also looking about the demands we place on our people because 82% still say that they're at risk of burnout this year. And so we've got to um, really look at the capacity that we have in our people when we think about sustainable people management. Secondly, I'm really excited that generative AI is already helping us do some of that scenario planning. So we can look in more nuanced ways about if we have a hiring freeze or a budget cut or the work that we want to operate in the future demands completely different skills. How can we model that out? With a world that's changing at such a rapid rate, that's really helping us be a lot more strategic in HR and in our executive teams. And thirdly, I think we're seeing the adoption of more agile work practices, which is really getting us excited. The book is full of lots of examples from some leading companies on how they're adopting more skills-powered organizations. We've got Emphasis talking about their paper skills philosophy. We've got Novartis on how an unbossed culture has made a difference. Standard Chartered on moving from sunset to sunrise roles. So lots of good examples of how you can think differently and think more sustainably. But it's not just business sustainability and people sustainability we talk about. We also talk about the imperative to weave in environmental sustainability. Kai, you were a great partner on that particular chapter. Maybe you want to say a few words what really resonated for you there? Kate, 
when we when we look at this sustainability you know esg comes up and obviously in our book we concentrate very much much on social sustainability for a good reason because you know um when we look at hr we talk about the human resource it is a resource that is limited it is a resource that is exhausted um and we need to to treat that resource in a different manner, in a more sustainable manner. So that is one of the key messages. And I think we have some, some great examples. Um, for example, Packers Group, um, who's doing a great, which is doing a great job on, on, you know, sustainable people management. But apart from that, you know, we also need to look into, um, well, the E and the G part of, of sustainability. And of course, you know, we see that a lot of companies are moving towards sustainability, which is environmental sustainability first. Now, you know, when we when we look at the, the root cause of sustainability, environmental sustainability, we will quickly come to a point where we find that we have a say-do gap, right? People want to be more sustainable. And in fact, um, we see in our global talent trends that um, 99% of employees expect their employers to follow a, well, sustainable um, agenda. So, so that is the kind of say. The do is different. And when we dig into why it is, it, why it is so hard to follow up on like sustainability agenda and, and deliver on, on environmental sustainability, we need to come to mindset and behavior. And that is, that is so crucial. And that is, I think we have great examples for how it works to kind of embed sustainability into a corporate culture, maybe even make it make it a corporate purpose, but then definitely weave it into corporate objectives, incentive systems, and so on. So um, that is, I think, great stuff for everybody to to see that these examples are out there, and we have ways to make it work. Absolutely, um, I Ilya, just before I pivot, I want to pick up on something that Kate mentioned. Is there anything you wanted to just add on to what Kate and Kai had already shared or we're good? I think, sure, just just briefly, is there needs to be a balance between what the organization needs in terms of its performance and, and people. And the two go hand in hand. I think through, through COVID in particular, we saw that one of the things holding back organizations from a growth perspective was just having enough of the right people in the right place at the right time. This organization mindset has shifted towards one where we realize that we can't succeed without our people and therefore we need to look at sustainability through their lens as well. Absolutely. Um, and actually, I just wanted to share as well, just for the audience, and we'll pivot, is for the, the upcoming book that you've referenced, Kate, and also Kai, which is Work Different, 10 Truths for Winning in the People Age. I'm personally interested in jumping in, Kate, now that you've mentioned these musical uh, notations <laughs> in there, just to see what the genres are like and how you connected this into the conversation, because I think it's going to certainly make for um, helping us remember the key takeaways as we go through the, the chapters. So thank you for that. Well, I think you're going to find it quite eclectic when you do take a look at it, Daniel. <laughs> you I'm might look at it a little bit differently. <laughs> that's fantastic because I think one of the things you did say was we need to think differently. So it seems to be working really well there. Um, thinking of some of the things that you said at the beginning, Kate, think differently, our attitude towards work, just the whole concept of rethinking. Um, and Kai, you kind of built on that. One of the truths that really hit home was it kind of doesn't pay to stay. And so it would be really fantastic to maybe hear from you, Ilya, what's driving this phenomenon? Sure, Danielle. So, you know, as leaders and HR professionals, as much as we like to say that 
pay is not the reason for employees leaving. I think over the last few years, actually, here's a key drive, and our, our research certainly shows, shows as much. Um, and, you know, the, the past few years, I think, have also shown for employees, particularly if they look at social media and the like, that actually sometimes it is a greener pasture to change and look for alternative employment. And in addressing this for organisations, as we, the perspective we take in the book, it's whenever you encounter a business problem, it's important just to step back and say, how are employees thinking about this? And how are they thinking about it now that may have been different in the past and how we address these challenges previously? And so from the perspective of it doesn't pay to say, actually, employees can get paid more and do get paid more by leaving their current job and joining another employer. So Mercer's um, compensation surveys will show somewhere between the range of 4 and 6% on average when someone ships jobs in terms of a pay increase. Do that a few times over your career and you're earning maybe 20% plus more in income and over a lifetime that adds up to a lot. If you look at government statistics, they show the same trend between stayers and leavers, in fact, more aggressive. And then for those jobs or those skills that are in particular premium, you know, it's not uncommon for someone to leave for a base pay increase of 15 to 20%. They get a bump in incentive that's probably guaranteed for the first year. They get a sign-on bonus. They might get long-term incentive. And so very quickly, changing jobs can turn into a 20 30% premium over the decision to stay. So that's quite substantial and one of the reasons we labelled that chapter, it doesn't pay to stay. Importantly, though, it's not just about pay or pay is not about direct compensation only. As we have experienced over the last few years, there have been a number of new priorities that have come to play. So, for example, employees will trade off compensation for things like lifestyle integration. They'll be thinking about what's next, the kind of skills that they're going to gain by staying with this employer. Um, the extent to which they're valued. Yes, they work hard. Are they supported enough? Are they given the resources that they need to deliver? Are they respected for their contribution? So are they just told what to do or are they explained and provided the context of what their contribution is? And then I think there's two other things. One is no one really wants to be in a dead-end job. So as much as it'll pay, I think employees now will keep the experiences that will position them for the long term, for career sustainability. And if now is not the right time, if now is too difficult to find another opportunity in the job market, well, through the phenomenon of quietly quitting, I think we learned over the past few years that it's easy enough for an employee to dial back their effort and wait for better times. I think that's going to be a real concern this year because just hearing the range of things we talked at the beginning, there's a lot that everyone's grappling with and being asked of. And I think job insecurity is is rising really high at the moment. And we were pretty shocked when we looked at our own data because truly, do we want to be reinforcing that actually switches should earn more as opposed to recompensing our loyal stayers? Um, so although we we flag that phenomenon, we do talk about um, how you can how you can change that that picture. And we talk a lot about in part, it's down to two things. You know, it's not always just base pay. It is that perceptions of pay equity. And I have the privilege of doing our global talent trend study every year. 
And for the first time, equity in pay is in the top five. In fact, after job security, it's the second reason why people are staying. I think with pay transparency laws, pay equity legislation, and just cost of living crisis, or the fact you can ask ChatGPT what you should be paid, I think everybody's much more attuned to how much money am I being paid relative to my peers? And what does that actually mean in terms of take-home pay? But that equity perception definitely goes beyond pay. If we think about some of the strikes that we have, it hasn't just been about that pay. It's been about you know, who has flexible working, who doesn't have flexible working. It's been about um, how AI is being used and is that eroding future wealth potential. We saw that um, in the US with the, with the writer's strike. Um, so I think we do need to think broadly on this topic. And we've definitely seen some attitudes change from executives on how we deliver on that fuller proposition um, as the labor market has tightened. So, you know, a few things there to, to chat about, but we also have some strategies that I think can really make a difference and make people feel engaged and inspired to stay for the long haul and ways in which the companies can speed up the way people are moving around organization, which, you know, overcome some of the challenges. Yeah, you hit on a couple of quick points there, Kate, that I wanted to pick up. One, you mentioned uh, ChatGPT, so more broadly generative <laughs> AI. Um, and also just some of both you and Ilya talked about just some of the different labor trends um, that we're seeing right now and kind of what that means and how we need to address that. So what I wanted to pivot back to is when we think about generative AI and those labor trends, um, how will they converge to put a premium on an agile organization? Kai, do you want to kick off and I can add? Happy to. Um, so so let, let us re really start with the one big labor trend that is demographics, right? And, and demographics don't lie. And although at a different pace, you know, the workforce is shrinking in the um, Western world and, and also in China, the biggest labor market. Um, so economic downturns, as, as we have right now, may dampen um, this effect, but labor shortages are here to stay. So that is the kind of new normal. And we've seen that after the pandemic for the first time ever, it was like a hot summer, you know, that is, that is an indicator for global warming. We've, we've seen like, you know, uh, the, the vacancies, um, in restaurants mm -hmm. and, and all around. So, so that, that is a given. And, you know, probably when we look at organizations and, and executives, what they are doing, right, not only, you know, in these economic, well, challenging phases, they are freezing headcounts, so they're not necessarily laying off people, but they also increase their investments into AI and automation, which is, you know, uh, more than 40% of executives that are doing exactly that right now. So, and, and, and here's probably the answer to, to um, this, this huge challenge that we have to make use of the potential that we have within automation and generative AI. Let us not forget, you know, technological progress has always meant to decrease our workload in the long run. And that is exactly what will happen with generative AI, which is a blessing when we see how much we are working and we see that the workforce is shrinking. And I would add to that, you know, we've got to look on the one hand, these labor changes that are happening, whether it's workforce participation, whether it's aging workforce. And as we start to look forward, 
um, there's a premium on productivity. And I think that's where the AI conversation kind of juxtaposes with it. Um, Mercer's own economic modeling suggests that generative AI is a potential to add 551 million to the global economy um, between 2025 and 2035 and deliver 14% gains in productivity per worker. And that's really interesting because if you do the math, that equates to about a month saving a year. And one of the things that fascinates us is, well, what do we do with that saving? Is that you know, an opportunity for us to rethink work-life balance? You, you heard from Kai earlier that people are feeling disengaged, depleted. We've got a finite resource with our energy. Or is that maybe to reskill so that we can actually have more time in the jobs of today to learn the skills of tomorrow? And I think that's a really interesting conversation for us to be having today before we just flow those productivity gains to the bottom line and return them to shareholders. But Gen AI is getting us all excited and we see huge productivity gains in the workforce at the moment, whether it's um, using it as our co-pilot to help us do our work quicker and faster, or whether it's allowing people who previously wouldn't have been able to do that job to enter into the workforce. I think it's incredibly exciting to have a look at those dynamics together. Okay, to, to, to your point, if I, if I can add, um, it is a big question, what do we do with those productivity gains? And our employees say, well, if we create more time, more space, can we use that to our own advantage and not return everything to the organization? Critical question because from a competitive perspective, all organizations will be working to apply AI to enhance the efficiency of their processes. Not all of them will be using AI to innovate and to create. And I think it's going to turn into a two-speed world from that perspective. Those organizations that are applying for both efficiency purposes and to create the new are going to be more competitive and more sustainable. We know with AI that AI itself cannot create, right? We need a human in the picture. So I do think there's a lot of advantage in taking, thinking long-term about that productivity gain and thinking about how we invest that time into employee learning, education, challenge of working with AI to focus more on those creative and innovative aspects of work. That, that productivity gain is also really alluring as well, because I think we have to be careful as we have that pursuit for faster and more efficient working. Do we forget to have a look at um, if there are biases or if this is um, having adverse impact on any particular population. And, and that's one of the things I'm really worried about. Um, I'm always fascinated how humans can adapt, but I also know that we rely a lot on the tacit knowledge we've built up over the years. And as we see more of that um, kind of labor arbitrage to the machine, we start to we stop learning some of those kind of baseline skills. And I think that also um, needs a rethink if we're going to make sure that the younger generation coming in are not held back because of the opportunities technologies can afford. It's definitely a great point, Kate. And actually on the note that you're mentioning about the younger generation and both you, Kai, and Ilya have also talked about kind of this focus on, on compensation and what individuals want and how do we retain talent, attract talent. It would be fantastic to maybe get your perspective on how can organizations better understand what people really want? Kate, you alluded to some past surveys. I believe you also tapped into the global talent trends and some of the results from 2023 on that as well. And that we want a lifestyle contract, really. We want we, we want compensation, but we want a lot more. And how can understand organizations 
really better understand that because understanding that is what's going to enable us to retain that talent and to truly grow with that talent as opposed to always having a transient labor force. Absolutely. And I think Ilya shared some of those findings from our 2023 study around people really being prepared to make a trade-off. And we actually asked the question, you know, if you, what would you forego a pay rise for this year? And many people said, you know, it was more time off, better benefits, and actually opportunity in many parts of the world to engage in sustainability pursuits. So we see that that importance of purpose and contributing not just to profit, but to a wider array of things. And we see that in 2024. I'm actually just looking through the 2024 study at the moment, and there's some fascinating things in here because I think this is the year that people have really sat back and some of the the seeds of disconsent and change about people's attitudes to work have really hit the data. I mean, one of the headlines, Daniela, is I think one in four said, I actually don't want to work at all. And when we start to really look in at millennials, one in two says, I'm not up for the way of working that I saw my parents work. So something really is amiss. And our attitudes of work have, have absolutely shifted. And, and you're right, no longer is it that that loyalty contract of yesteryear, which was the sort of equation between workers and employees. No longer is it the engagement contract, um, which, we, which has dominated over the last decade. Today, it's about not just engagement in work, but thriving in all aspects of your work. And when we look particularly at the Gen Y and the Gen Z data, they want their work to fit around their lifestyle and they're asking for um, different ways to contribute, to have side gigs, to share work. And I think we really saw some bright spots of that straight after the pandemic. But if I look at some of the data coming out from HR and executives, um, some of those attitudes have been pulled back. And Kai, you and I um, co-authored a, a chapter on um, the new rhythm of work and how that's changed. And I would say over the the last three years, it, it's changed dramatically and, and, and it's pivoting once again. Maybe you want to add some comments on that. Well, yeah, I mean, especially when we look at what's happening right now, you know, um, we, we, we've used the rhythm mat metaphor, um, you know, for, for a reason, because we've, you know, we, we, we all have now our own rhythm, right? And that has, that has you know, been fostered very much with the pandemic, of course, when we were all for, forced to, to work virtual, right? And, and now, you know, I, I tend to say the, the ghost is out of the bottle, right? And what we've seen um, in, in our surveys throughout the past years is that the preference for working flexible, you know, is amongst the top three preferences around the world. So one way to kind of get back to a corporate rhythm may be to call people back into the offices. And we are seeing that with many organizations. But that leaves you with another dilemma that is, you know, the preference of people to work more autonomously, right? And if you now ask me or ask us for, for how, what can we do about it, you know, um, then, then probably one thing is to say we need to find a balance of, of like individual needs and organizational needs, which is easier said than done. But then it's also to consider um, other dimensions of flexible work other than when we work and where we work, right? Which is also like who is working? You know, we're talking about job sharing as an opportunity to be more flexible and more autonomous. Um, we are talking about what we work. So um, that is also, of course, um, affected by, we've been talking about generative AI and new tools that we have that make our working lives easier. Mm -hmm. 
also when we when we look at the lifestyles and the why we work right to to adjust more to the kind of lifestyle and and the well the situation that people are in so there is answers to that um and we are pretty sure that you know organizations can find their rhythm and get back into sync when we look at these things so kai can i just add quickly on to that and maybe just ask you the second part to this question which is based on what you've just shared how can how, how can you build a culture in that case that really transcends the structures and the walls and the places at the heart of this change, especially when you're talking about bringing people back into the workforce, people wanting to work ex, uh, independently or flexibly from wherever? Well, it's, you know, we, we can probably bring everything, you know, back to culture. Um, and, and if you ask for how, how can we make that work, um, it is, it is, you know, the first the, and, and, and the strongest instrument that we have is dialogue and feedback, right? So when we when we kind of get into um, uh, the notion that we have a real dialogue, and that is not we keep telling people what to do, but we are listening to people. And you've you've asked for you know how do we get to know people's preferences by listening? So employee listening is a is a real great exercise. And getting into a dialogue, having having managers, leaders that are in a real dialogue with people is something that is fostering um, a, a culture of, let's say, belonging um, and appreciation. And, and that is something that we've come across. And if there's things that are maybe new in the context of leadership and culture, it is one thing that comes up, which is empathy. And empathy, empathy has been you know, fostered very much through the pandemic. Um, by by really get into um, uh, you know each each other's shoes, which is like you know I understand you, I see you, I see the individual, right, and I'm being empathetic about what is bothering you. So so that was very much the ask of the pandemic, and and we're well advised to kind of hold on to that kind of um, to that kind of notion to kind of foster empathy and make that an organizational reflex because it is fostering a culture of inclusiveness and belonging. That makes a lot of, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's really insightful. Um, Ilya or Kate, anything that you wanted to add on to that as well? Yeah, I think uh, for, for, for mine, I'd say it's important also for a manager or leader mindset to recognize that uh, one of the things holding back growth and sustainable growth is actually having enough of the right talent. And so that means that as long as organizations are designed in a way that is strict and structured, not flexible or agile enough, we'll always have challenges. And, and a theme that we discussed through the book is the concept of, of skills, skills-based organization and much more mobility in an organization than ever before is one of the ways to, to move forward. So part of the culture I would say is an organization needs to have a bias towards a builder, a bias strategy. I think that's become obvious. When we talked about pay to stay, actually it's very difficult to afford to buy all of the talent at a premium, so you need to build. And I think it's important to know employees, provide learning opportunities so that they can gain the skills that they need for the future. And that means they need to know, so they need to be transparent around the skills um, that are going to be required for future organizational success and at a premium and also those skills that are perhaps decaying in an organization. 
it means taking advantage of technology, so jump onto AI and take full advantage of the potential that that has to offer. And then, of course, it also requires a further change in leadership mindset so that we're not so protective of our own resources, but we're willing to free up our own resources so that we move to parts of the organisation where they'll be more productive, more effective, more impactful, and it doesn't come naturally. I appreciate that, Ilya. There's so many um, great takeaways there to, to really just capture down. So I hope everyone in our audience was able to take some good notes as you were just adding that comment. Um, I appreciate we've been kind of running through so many vast topics over the past 30 minutes and we're coming close to time. But um, I do have one question that I really wanted to ask the three of you. When I think about the book, and I'm very excited myself to read it, what chapters and themes do you think resonate most today? And I would appreciate if I could maybe start with you, Ilya, and ask Kate and then Kai to jump in and, and share with us in the audience so we know where we should start. Sure. Um, uh, my favorite chapter is uh, one we call Supply Unchained. Um, most of the book goes deep into employee, employee perspective. This one takes an employer perspective on supply and demand. And it reminds us that there's so much to learn by thinking outside of our natural silos. And so in this case, it informs HR that there's so much to be learned from the lessons and the science of managing the physical supply chain. You know, through COVID in particular, we experienced such challenges in that space. There's a lot of learning that translate directly into talent pipeline management, which is a key for the future. And then it also shows that there needs to be a real balance between what employers need and what employees want. Danielle, I'm happy to go next. Um, I'm going to be greedy. I probably have two. Um, I love the first chapter, which is goodbye employees, uh, hello contributors, because I think the mindset of what people want from their leader and their work has fundamentally changed. And I can't go past amplified intelligence because I do think AI is ushering a really new and exciting world where we can think differently about how we move our talent around our organizations and how we help people have fulfilling careers. And I think it's upending the whole productivity equation. And that I think gives us the capacity to think different and to lead different through these times, which is really exciting. I love that. Hi. Yeah, happy to to go last and 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 hook on to what Kate is saying. I think our first our first chapter, um, you know, is this important because what we're talking about is a new relationship between employees and employers and 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 that is crucial and that is what has changed really when we look at the past 200 years you know we, we're in a new age which we call the people age now we're not promoting like um, as, as Ilya said we're to some extent of course we're, we're taking the employee side the contributor side as we say but it takes, you know, it takes more than that. And, and, and for that reason, um, the trust and accountability chapter is probably my favorite because it brings across the two things that need to go together. We've been given trust a lot, especially in the pandemic, right? When we talk about working virtual, right? we needed to give trust. And that is the new mantra of the new world of work of the people age. It's trust and accountability. And to a certain extent, we've been given trust. Now's the time to bring back accountability. And that is if you want, you know, the, the kind of employer side. 
you know, we, we're giving a lot to, to people and sustainable people management is about, you know, making people thrive and feel good at work, but we also need their contribution, right? We also need, you know, to make all of that work, we need performance and we need accountability. And, and in that respect, I think we have some great examples and, and um, ideas about how to foster that kind of, you know, accountability to, to make the entire thing work. I, that's fanta fantastic. I, I'm reflecting back on so many key messages that each of you has shared from thinking differently to people age, trust, accountability, our attitudes toward work, the importance of culture. Um, certainly uh, excited for everyone in this audience to have the opportunity to pick up this book and read it. I'm excited to take a look at it again. For those of you who have joined us a little late, the book that is soon to launch later this week is called Work Different, 10 Truths for Winning in the People Age. And Kate Bravery, Billy Abonik, um, and Kai Anderson are all authors of that book. So as I mentioned at the start, if you're not already following Kate, Kai, and Ilya, highly recommend that each of you follow them on LinkedIn. This is an opportunity to continue that conversation after today's dialogue. And if you have any other questions, um, please put them in the comments. We will do our very best to make sure that each of them receives your questions and that we're able to respond back to you to connect with you and continue the conversation. Also wanted to just encourage everyone to follow Mercer if you're not already, as we continue this conversation, share future events and thought leadership in order to support you on your journeys. This is an exciting time in the world of work, and there's a lot of possibilities and a lot of opportunities for all of us. Thank you so much, Kate, Kai, and Ilya for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm leaving feeling very inspired, and I hope that all of you in the audience are also sharing in that. Thank you, Daniela. It's great to join you today. Thanks. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this special edition. If you are celebrating over this holiday season, I hope you have a wonderful time with friends and family, and I look forward to reconnecting with you all in the new year. Have a great rest of the day. Bye-bye.